that we get to share in the Word of God this morning. Uh, but before we do that, are you guys ready back there? All right, sweet. First through fourth grade, my pirate ship and battleship kids, you guys go right over there. Woo! Arr, yeah, there we go. Love it. We, we love giving them an environment. We love uh, the kids being with you during worship to, uh, to sing and hear the scripture and hear what's going on in the life of our church. And then we uh, love for them to also have their own environment where uh, they will hear the same good news that you guys hear this morning, uh, just a little bit in their language, because kids, they speak a different language, let's be honest. Uh, and so, uh, so we're, we're excited that they have that opportunity this morning. Um, so I like to eat. Is anybody else out there likes to eat? Okay, I like to eat. I, actually, uh, correction, I love to eat. Uh, I love to eat. It's, it's like my second favorite pastime. Like, I just, I just love, I, lo- I, I look forward to our meal after today's service. I'm looking forward, like, it's part of my day. I, I like, gear the rest of my, uh, most of my hours by what I'm going to eat each day. And it's, it's going to be fantastic. I'm, and expectations for food are pretty high on my list, uh, pretty important for me. Uh, you know, you can exceed my expectation any time you were to take me to a Japanese hibachi restaurant. Uh, it's just going to happen. I, I love the dudes with the, with the hats and the really corny jokes that you don't even think they think are funny. Uh, I, I, it gets me every time. I, the egg roll jokes, it gets me every time. I love that. I get a little upset if the, uh, if, if the dude doesn't do the volcano. I, I get a little bit upset about that. I get, it's, it's pretty important to me. About, and, and every time I leave one of those Japanese hibachi restaurants, like, uh, it always, always, always exceeds my expectations about food. Which, which leads to probably one of my largest pet peeves that I think it's, it's even developing as I get a little older, uh, that um, I can't stand when, uh, when, when two things happen. When you go to some place, you go to a restaurant, and you pay too much for the meal, and it's not any good. Like that, and you leave very unsatisfied, and you paid a lot of money for this meal. Like it, that's a struggle for me. Like I can handle maybe one or the other. I can handle an expensive but good meal every once in a while, right? And I can even handle a bad meal as long as I either don't pay for it or it's really, really cheap, okay? So I, I can handle either of those. But when you pay a lot of money for a meal and then it's not good, like I, I lose it. Like I just lose control somehow. It's just, it's, it makes me so angry. This happened one time actually very early on in our marriage. Uh, in fact, it was the first day of our honeymoon. Adrian and I went to, to brunch at this very fancy restaurant called the Wilcox Inn in Aiken. And uh, we get the menus and there is nothing on this menu that looks remotely appetizing to me at all. And also the menu didn't have prices on it. So I had no idea how much this stuff was going to cost me. Uh, and so I literally settled on, and I'm not a vegetable lover, I literally settled on uh, sweet potato soup, and it came cold. It was awful. Like, it was painfully bad. And I was starving, and Adrian got, like, some form of a salad on four crackers, right? And, and we, the bill came, and we paid $55 uh, for, for this meal. I was so upset. And, like, I was, as fast as we could, we got out of there uh, and consumed about 1,000 calories, paying about $6 at McDonald's, like, the next moment. Uh, I just really needed some food. I, I, I needed something that, for nourishment. Not saying that McDonald's really gives you that, but it was, it was calorie intake at least. Um, so uh, expectations were not met when we went to that place, and I had some significant expectations. Just like some of you, I think some of you walk in this place for Easter with some pretty large expectations, and those expectations are going to range depending on who you are in your situation. 
There's some of you in this, in this room today where you are excited to be here for Easter and you've been looking forward to it. Easter is a big deal to you uh, and, and maybe you've been a believer for a long time and you, you just love Easter. You understand the depth of what Christ has done for you and you understand that Christ rose for you to give you life and that's important to you and so today is a big day. There's some of you who are coming to this room. The other side of the equation is this, I cannot wait to get out of this room because I'm so uncomfortable and I hope that this thing doesn't go long. Like that's, that's what you're thinking. Uh, the other range of expectations might be that things in life for you are really good, that you are, um, that, that your house is good, your wife is good, or your husband is good, your kids are good, you're making good money, you have a good car, you, everything in life is going, rolling along just fine. And then on the other side of this room, there are folks who are at the end of their rope, and you need some form of hope. Um, that you come into this place hoping that Easter will give you some good news, that there will be an ounce of joy in this place today because in your everyday routine, there's chaos and broken relationships and things are just not good at home. And so I, I understand that, that, that there's expectations on both ends today. My hope is that by you being here, you're making some form of an investment You are giving of your time this morning to at least be here to worship Jesus in some form, and you've got expectations. And the question for you is, are my expectations going to be met, or am I going to be disappointed in today? Is it possible that my expectations about today are going to be exceeded in some form or fashion? And that's exactly where we find some people in the scripture in Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to be today. So if you have a Bible, uh, whether a text or maybe on your phone, you can turn on your Bible. That'd be great too. Uh, there's, um, we would love, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible at our connection table right over there. Uh, and uh, we, we want you to walk away with the word of God. Also, it can be on uh, an app called the YouVersion app or the Holy Bible app. You can turn on. We just love for you to have a Bible, the Word of God, in your hands so that you can read it on your own. Uh, that would be absolutely fantastic. So Luke, chapter 24, Luke is one of the four Gospels or one of the stories about uh, Jesus. And we find a group of disciples. Of course, there was Jesus' 12 disciples that at this point in the story is 11 disciples because one of them uh, committed suicide at this point, Judas. And so there's 11 of them that are the disciples. And then there's roughly about 120 people who are faithful followers of Jesus that had been with him for quite some time. Okay, And so uh, they had heard and believed, and they believed in this Messiah, this anointed one of God, and hopefully he was going to drag them out of some deep uh, oppression. And so they followed him around. They believed what he had said. And then he's arrested. Um, and they don't understand why he's arrested. He hadn't done anything wrong. He had committed no crime. But for whatever reason, he was hated by the religious hierarchy of the day. And they wanted to arrest him. So they had him arrested. He was then tried in an unfair trial. Uh, he was then tortured. And then he was sent to crucifixion. And three days ago, we celebrated that on Good Friday, um, meaning the the crucifixion of Jesus. Crucifixion was one of the hardest, uh, probably the world's, uh, the the worst way that you could possibly die that the world has ever invented. It was long, it was 
excruciating. Actually, that term comes from crucifixion, excruciating. It was incredibly painful. Uh, and they knew, the Romans knew how to draw it out. And so this is what was happening to this Messiah that these 120 people believed in. They believed in some form of truth that was coming out of him. And they believed at some, pl- at some place that, that the Messiah, if this was truly the Messiah, he would be able to handle this. He might even be able to break through from the, from the oppression. But he didn't. The Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ that they thought he was, died on Friday. And they didn't get that. They didn't understand that. And so that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 24. It says this in verse 1. Follow along with me. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, meaning a, a, a group of women, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returned from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to, the re- to, to all the rest, meaning the 120. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So this is Luke's account. There's four different accounts of the resurrection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all state that Jesus was crucified, that he certainly died of that, of that crucifixion, and then he certainly rose again. Uh, his body rose from the dead. This is Luke's account of the resurrection, that Jesus certainly did not stay dead, rose again three days later, and he's emphatic about this, just as he said that he would. That the truth that these people had believed that Jesus had said was in fact true. He really did do what he was supposed to do. This is the climax of all of Scripture. This piece right here, what we read in the Gospels about the resurrection, is the most important piece of Scripture in your Bible. It is in fact the most important news in all of history. In every single history book, this is the most important fact of all history. That Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again, that which we, which we celebrate today. And Easter for the believer is the most important day of the year. And it is a promise. A promise that since Jesus died for our sin, meaning that our sin died with him, it also means that when he rose again, that we will rise in eternal life. And that we, when we die, will not live in eternal death. But we can, in fact, live forever. That's the message of the gospel. That's the purpose of resurrection. The apostle Paul tells us that if Jesus never rose from the dead, that we as a church or a group of Christians, somebody that we believe this, if Jesus never rose from the dead, that we are most to be pitied. Because we, If he didn't rise from the dead, then we just worship a dead man. It doesn't matter. 
But even this report didn't convince them. It says that they, they thought that the women were telling an idle tale, a fantasy, something they, they wanted to believe but really wasn't true. You see, they had all these expectations, and since Jesus died, he didn't meet their expectations. It was a bad, they, didn't, they were not satisfied with what happened on Friday. They didn't think that that was going to happen. Their expectation was, was that he was going to be alive, that he was going to leave an ins- lead an insurrection against the Romans. The Romans killed him, and he was dead. And so, so many of them had these expectations that Jesus, apparently, to them at least, did not meet. And so we meet a couple of them. Uh, in verse 13, it says this. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other about all the, uh, talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we hoped, what's that, circle that word in your Bible, but we hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went back to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them of all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what's happening in this passage? You have two people. Uh, We know that one of them, at least, is a man named Cleopas. And uh, normally, maybe in, in, in some church history or paintings and things, what normally is concerned is it's two men walking down the road. Uh, when the language here in the original language is actually uh, pretty neutral. And so uh, we can, uh, it's, this is skepticism, but we could think of that this could be a man and a woman. And if it's a man and a woman traveling together by themselves on the road, then it's likely that it would be Cleopas and his wife. Speculation, but just let you know that it's very possible that that's the case. Anyway, it's two people. Uh, And these two would have been part of about 120 people who were following Jesus at the time. They were going back to their hometown named Emmaus, about seven miles away. So this this little journey would have taken a couple hours. Um, And you can imagine yourself on the road with them, maybe. Uh, This was the first day of the week. Normally, we as Americans, Sunday is usually, like we think of it as our last day of the week. It's the day that we rest. Uh, It's the day that most of us don't work. Some of you guys do, but most of us don't work on Sundays. Um... And so, you know, we think of Monday as kind of our first day of the week. To them during this time, Sunday would have been the first day of the week, the first, way, the first day of business. And so you can imagine yourself maybe on this busy road going back and forth between Jerusalem. You have these two, they're just walking along, probably very sad, very depressed. And they're just talking with each other about the mysteries of what they've heard, what they saw. 
And they're wondering, I wonder if this is true. I don't think so. We saw him die. He was pretty dead. I don't think anybody can come back from that. And they're just very sad about this. And there's probably people passing them by, wondering why you're walking so slow. Get out of the way. And then there was this man. To them, he was just a stranger. Luke tells us that it's Jesus himself risen in the flesh. But to them, it's a stranger. And he walks up to them and he says, what are you guys talking about? And to, to, to Cleopas, he has this kind of moment of, of like spiritual honesty where you can see he's so anxious and, and possibly he's just worried and frustrated and confused. He'd probably given years of his life to, uh, to this teaching of Jesus, and he's frustrated. This guy that he had put all his hope in is dead, and he's frustrated. And so he looks back at this stranger and says, don't you know? Don't you know what happened? Have you not seen the headlines? I mean, this is, this is big front page news. Everybody knows about Jesus of Nazareth, and everybody knows that he was crucified on Friday. Why don't you know this? The irony in that is pretty astounding, that you have this guy who, who is literally talking to the Son of God, who was there at creation, who planned this whole thing from the Garden of Eden. He's saying, oh, don't you know what's going on? I mean, the irony is pretty fun. Um, and he get, Jesus gets him to explain it to him. And he tells about, you know, what Jesus, his hopes and expectations about Jesus. It, he believed that Jesus was a great prophet, but his teachings don't matter now because he's dead. And they thought that he was going to redeem Israel, but that doesn't matter anymore because they're still oppressed by the, by the Romans. Nothing has changed. And so what we see here is their expectations coming out, not being met. And what they don't realize is that the person who is redeeming all of those expectations and about to blow them out of the water is standing right in front of them, and they don't see him. And so right then, Jesus kind of breaks through, and he says, okay, 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 I've heard the story, I got it, I get it. Um, you, might have, you might think about believing these, these women that have told you this story. And then Jesus, this is like every preacher's dream, right? <clears throat> he... he he stands in front of them and shows them how all of the, all of the Old Testament points to him. And it's, it, so I can, I can picture Jesus, you know, just, he, he begins with, don't you see everything around you? Don't you see the sky? Don't you see the trees? Don't you see the animals? The dirt below your feet? The very flesh that you embody? God created that. He created that from the very beginning. He wanted relationship with you. And you guys know from the Old Testament that, that, um, that human beings sinned and fell away from that. That they separated themselves from a relationship with God by being disobedient. And then a plan was set forward to make sure that that was taken care of. And so then he began to talk about Moses. And Moses was the giver of the law, the leader of the people. He gave what was called the Ten Commandments. You guys might be familiar with that. And then out of the Ten Commandments, they built hundreds of other different laws to keep order and structure so that there could be some kind of temporary reconciliation between God and man. But it was a consistent need for bloodshed to cover over the sins of mankind. And so there was all of these laws, and Jesus showed them how the Son of Man, how, how the Christ was going to come and fulfill every one of those laws. Then he probably spoke of King David. King David was the most powerful and probably the most recognizable king in Israelite history. 
Those people would have known the name of King David. That King David was going to be the savior of their nation. And they were waiting for one that was going to come from David's line who was going to save them once again and bring them back to prominence. And Jesus shows him that the Christ was going to be the king, not only the king, but the king of kings. And then he shows them Isaiah, the prophet. And he says, here's this man who had a vision of the Christ, of the suffering servant, who showed how this one is going to come and he's going to die for his people and then he's going to rise again. And he shows this about himself. He's he's telling them all about the Christ and how he fulfills everything as a prophet, as a priest, as a king. That he is the fulfillment of all of these scriptures. At this point, the two were probably very drawn in by this. And we know this by the, the first couple pieces of his scripture. And he says, he says this in, uh, in Luke 24, 28 through 32. So they drew near to the village to which, they were go, to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly. Now, those, those words right there, but they urged him strongly. Quite literally, that means that they probably grabbed him physically and said, please come into our house. We want to receive you. They urged him strongly, okay? Saying, stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? While he was talking to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. The first thing you guys need to know, I think it might have been up on the screen, maybe it is now. The first thing you guys need to know is that all of history is about his story. And he shows that to him. He says, Let me, did, did not our hearts burn within us when he was showing us everything about the Old Testament was pointing towards him? And he was showing them that every piece of history, everything that has ever been points to the person of Jesus Christ. That all of history points to his specific story. And at this moment, Jesus decides to reveal himself. And it, it might have been, I'm not sure what happened, but he, they, he took the blinders off of their eyes and they saw him for what he really was. Maybe it was the moment where he broke that bread Right? And, and, he, uh, and maybe it's because they had sat with him at meals before and watched him do that. Maybe it was because he was at, they were at the feeding of the 5,000, this amazing miracle where Jesus made bread out of nothing. And they watched him break that bread. And they're like, oh, yes, that's it. I saw him do that once. Maybe he had heard, they had heard about the Last Supper where Jesus uh, makes the sacrament of, the, of communion or the Last Supper. And they had heard the disciples talk about this, that when he broke, his, broke the bread, it means that he was breaking his own body. Maybe they had heard about that. But in that moment, when he breaks the bread, re- it's revealed that it's him in front of them. And, and just, like a, just like a flash, he disappears. It was here that Jesus blows their expectations out of the water and he really is alive and that burning within them was real it wasn't just emotion it was the spirit of god coming alive in them from their cold dead hearts where their soul this dark night of the soul that they were working through now was starting to thaw out and this person who was telling them the truth about his story is now changing their story 
So in the same way, his story can change your story. Just like he changed these people's lives. His story can change your story. I said that there is a range of expectations in this room today. That you might be doing fine, you might not be doing so good, family might be stressed, family might be okay. There's a range. But here's what we know and what the Bible tells us. Is that every single one of us is broken and that brokenness comes from sin. Disobedience to God. The Bible tells us this in in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning that all of us, regardless of who we are, no matter how well we're doing or how, or how poorly we are doing, that all of us are broken at some level. And I believe that every single one of you, no matter your journey with God, no matter how close or how far you are from God, that you know in your inner core that something is broken within you. You know that you've been disobedient at times in your life or maybe even today, and you know that you need to be reconciled back to God. The scripture tells us that we're all wired that way. needing We know that something's broken. And we know that we need to be in relationship with God, but our sin holds us back. See, here's the deal. We believe, and we're, rightly, we're right to, to, to believe this, that God is sovereign, holy, and good. And that he is higher. That he is the king of heaven and sovereign over all things. He is above all things, and therefore he is above us. And that we're down here as if God is up on this mountain and we're down here in the valley. And what we try to do to get back in relationship with God is we try to do a lot of good things hoping that God will then accept us and love us. And so we try to climb the mountain step by step by saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to serve this way, I'm going to give to the poor, I'm going to help my family, I'm going to do this and that. And hopefully those things will add up to enough good behavior that God will then love me. But the problem is is that we sin, and every time we try to get up the mountain, we fall back down. And we have these problems, we have these addictions, we have these sins that hold and grip us, and we keep on falling back down, we keep on falling back down, and sometimes we just give up. The Bible tells us this in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' death on the cross is not symbolic, it's very tangible. Meaning that, yes, he was up here, and that we are down here. But here's the glory of the gospel, is that God leaves his throne and comes down to be amongst us. That he says, you can't get up the mountain. You cannot do enough good things to outweigh all your bad things. I have to come, and I have to rescue you. And I do this not because you deserve it, but because I love you. And so I'm going to be with you down in the valley, and Jesus' valley is much deeper and darker than yours. So he changes lives in this way. How does that life change happen? Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're wondering, okay, I'm, I'm down here and God's up here and then he comes down through the person of Jesus Christ and dies on the cross, what does that mean? It means that you can believe in his story and it will change your story. And we confess with our mouth, we believe with our heart, and that gives us salvation. It makes us alive again. And it gives us what, we, what, what the Bible calls peace. That all of the chaos, all of the problems, all of of that within our soul ends. 
Not our earthly trouble. We're still going to have some trouble. But the anxiety of our eternal life now is pacified with peace. It says this in Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been satisfied, are justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That you can have forgiveness of sin today. That on this Easter Sunday, and it might not have been your expectation. You might have just come here today saying, I just need to go to church because that's what you're supposed to do on Easter Sunday. I just need to go to church so that God would love me a little bit more. Or you, you might hear, be here because you're at the end of your rope and you need some kind of hope. You need something. And so my hope is today that you hear this news, that you hear the scripture, and it burns within you, and your expectations are far exceeded right now by what God wants to do in your life. And just like them, just like these two on the road to Emmaus, they were not expecting Jesus to show up in their life that day. They were very surprised by him. So today... You aren't expecting to meet Jesus, but he's burning right now in your heart. And he's speaking to you saying, you need to respond. You need a relationship with Jesus. You need forgiveness of sin. You need the peace that he's talking about here. I've seen this in our church. I've seen it several times. Um, Numerous times in the five years that, that God has gifted us through ministry here. I've seen a businessman had a great career, kids, wife, everything was going good, money, he was doing really, really well. But he knew something inside of him was broken. He knew that he did not have a relationship with God. And so he's here, he heard the same message that you're hearing right now. And I'm just a man in his 30s. He had never walked with God before in his life, and he knew that he was broken. And Jesus Christ changed his story. I've seen a woman in this church, a mom of three, who had been a part of every religion you could possibly think of. Buddhism, Hinduism, Satanism, whatever. Tried everything. And was afraid to try Christianity. And then she heard the gospel. She heard the good news of Jesus for her soul. And she accepted that. And Jesus changed her story. I've seen a couple in this church, a husband and wife, who financially struggling, relationships struggling, kids struggling. Everything was painful. In fact, they had struggled through infidelity. I mean, it was, it was problematic. And Jesus came into their story and changed it. In my own life, my dad was a, uh, he, I, I'm not even sure where my dad was at the time. He, he had left church many, many years before I was born. And my mom was uh, a Catholic, but hadn't, had, she hadn't practiced her Catholicism in decades. And, uh, and a man came to our, uh, into relationship with them, and all of a sudden when I was in fourth, fifth grade, uh, we started to attend Sheridan Hills Baptist Church. And I remember sitting in a Sunday school class when I was 10, and a guy named Mr. Walt came to me, and he sat me down and, and explained to me these very truths, these same verses that I just shared with you. And he asked me, do you want to be forgiven of sin? Do you want to walk with Jesus? Do you want to have eternal life? (laughs) For me, I was like, absolutely, let's do that. And at 10, as much as I knew about God, I gave to him. As much as I knew about myself, I gave to him. And that was the moment where Jesus changed my story. So it could happen for you today. There's one other thing I want to tell you, and it's important for you as you're thinking through a response to this. 
And this is good for, if you're a believer in this room, this is good for you to hear as well. That his story is, in fact, greater than your story. I know that's weird to hear, because it sounds a little bit boastful, right? But it's true. That his story is, in fact, greater than your story. You see, at the end of this scripture passage, we'll read it, verse 33 and 30 through 35, it says this, And they, meaning the two from Emmaus, rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told, they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. See, the two of them uh, ran back to Jerusalem in the middle of the night. Now, here's the deal. That might not seem on the surface like a big deal, but that's a huge deal. Here's why. There's no police. There's no people protecting you. There's nobody out for, you know, looking out for you, right? You didn't walk dark roads for many miles at nighttime in this place. You were surely going to get mugged, beaten, robbed somehow, some way. So these two people took their lives into their own hands because they had such glorious news that Christ had risen from the dead and they had seen him and they had to tell other people about him. It was necessary. Who cares about my life? Jesus has risen. I have to tell somebody. His story is much better than my story. His life is much better than my life. And so I have to tell somebody. They understood this principle that his story is much better than our story. There's a missionary um, in uh, the other, another part of the world uh, where um, most of the folks are Muslim or is, uh, Islamic and uh, very hostile to Christianity. And so there's this missionary, and he uh, makes relationships with people, and how he does that is he, keeps, he frequents the same places over and over again. Um, and so he goes and gets his hair cut at a specific barber shop with a specific barber. And uh, every time he gets his hair cut, he sits down in that chair, and he's got a captive audience for about 15 minutes. This guy's going to cut his hair. And every single time, this missionary pours out the love of Jesus to this guy. And he says, he, says, he keeps on telling him over and over again, multiple opportunities to say, hey, Jesus loves you. Here's how the gospel works. And shares the love of Jesus with this man over and over again, over the span of several months. Then one day he walks into the barbershop hoping to have the same conversation, maybe hoping to open up some doors. He walks into this barbershop, and immediately he's the only person in there. Immediately that, that guy, that barber, runs behind him and closes and locks the door, pulls the shade, turns out the light, and says, please sit down. At this, at this time the missionary's like, whoa, uh, this is going south quickly. Um, I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm a little bit scared right now. The guy sits him down. He says, no, 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 you don't understand I've decided that I want to follow Jesus. I've decided that I, I need to give up all these lies that I've believed all of my life and I need to follow Jesus. Can you lead me through what that means? And the missionary said, yes, I'm so glad. I'm so excited. I want to lead you to Jesus. But I have to share with you this one truth. That when you become a believer, you're going to have to turn the lights back on and open the door and pull the shades up. And in fact, even more than that, everybody who sits in this chair needs to hear about the gospel from you. That his story is greater than your story. And I know that that might have impact onto your life. It might have impact into your business. But when he becomes, in, he, when he sits in the first place seat, he becomes the most important thing that you talk about, not yourself and not your business. And so the question for you today 
is yes, Jesus wants to redeem you. He desires for you to believe in him and to confess him with your mouth so that you might be saved. But please understand at the same time that you are giving up the lordship of your life from yourself to Jesus. You're saying that I'm giving up the plan for my life, which I have made, and saying I'll follow Jesus' plan for my life. And I'm going to give myself over to the lordship of Christ. Just like these two who said, you know what, I'm going to put caution to the wind and I'm going to run seven miles down the road where it's dangerous and I'm going to tell about a risen Christ. Is your heart burning within you? You never may have expected to come in this room and make a decision for Jesus today. And you might be worried about what others might think. You might be worried about um, other people in your family this morning wondering what's going on. Why, why would you respond? But don't worry. You need to put that aside. And think about how God would want you to respond right now. They'll wait for you. Your family will wait for you. But it's time to say yes to Jesus, to know more about this relationship with him so that you might receive the forgiveness of sins, that you might know him and have a relationship with Jesus for all of eternity. There's two options I want to give you in order to do that. In a minute, we're going to stand up, and, uh, and that gives you, affords you the opportunity to walk back to the back of the room where I will be there, and uh, Pastor David will be there, and we'll have other people there to receive you and talk to you about this and pray with you and, and give you the opportunity to pray to receive Jesus. So that would be your opportunity. That's opportunity number one. The second option for you is on your connection card in your bulletin, the one that you ripped off a little earlier. There's a choice on the back of that card where it says, I would like to come to a relationship with Jesus or I'd like to be saved. On the back of that card, you can circle that and then in a minute when I'm done, we're going to pass the baskets around and you can place that in the basket and then... um, and then we will contact you as early as tomorrow to set up a time to talk with you about this relationship with Jesus. So if you're bold today and, and you're saying, hey, I need to receive Jesus right now, I would encourage you to do that. And we want to talk to you about that. So just slip out to the back of the room. We want to talk to you. And also that other option, go ahead and take it. We want to set up that meeting to encourage you just to encourage you to accept Jesus into your life in that way. Okay? So let's pray. My ushers are going to come up. We're going to take up those cards and your offerings as well. Uh, and we're going to continue to worship together. Father, in this place right now, there are beating hearts that are burning right now because you are walking with them and your voice is speaking into their heart. And they, are, they know that they need to respond and there's so many anxious moments right now. But Father, I pray that you would give just a sense of boldness to someone who really needs a relationship with you, that really needs forgiveness. So God, I pray that you would embolden these folks, that you would allow them to act out of the burning nature of their heart. Move their legs, Father. Move their hearts towards making a decision. And Jesus, for those who simply need to circle on a card that they want to talk with somebody about a relationship with you, I pray that you give them the boldness to do that and place that card right in the basket. Either way, Father, I pray that you would save hearts today, that souls would come to know you. And as we worship you, I pray that the gospel would be made known throughout this community. We love you, Jesus. Amen.